everybody, and welcome to the Medevac Podcast. I am your host, Christian Myers, joined by my co-host today, David. Hello. Reed. Say hello, David. Yes. I already did say oh, Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, first and foremost, thank you guys for joining us today. I want to cover a couple things real quick. We don't do advertisements other than our producer's Black Rifle Coffee because we don't want to inundate you with ads. Um, I don't like seeing ads on the podcast that I listen to, so we didn't want to do it to you guys. But what we ask, if you get something out of today's, today's episode, please share it with a friend or family member. Just send it their way. Our guest today, Dr. Mike one. Simpson. Oh, Hello. Doctor. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Mike is a former... Special Forces Airborne Ranger turned MD, now also an author. That too. And owns a supplement company. What's not on your resume is the question. That would be a shorter not list, an, I feel like. Not an Haven't been to space and don't have a combat scroll. Uh, but uh, we're so, working on yeah, it, right? We talked about that. We <laughs> talked about that. Can I get to space still, I, still I still haven't let the combat scroll thing go. <laughs> I still haven't let it go after all these years. You don't have the combat scroll. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, it's, but you have the Ranger tab. I have a tab. I have both tabs. Uh, okay, so is it okay for me to say you're not a true ranger? No. <laughs> I, I got nothing. I got nothing. I can't oh, argue it. Yeah, I can't argue it. We'll get there, man. So it's a green hat and a stethoscope, though. So, I mean... I mean, that is half the battle right there. That's pretty yeah, cool. I guess. You might begin to space. Space <laughs> Ranger, at the very least. And then you can yeah. reattack that, yeah. right? Well, now that Shatner went to space, I kind of feel like that opens it up for all of us. And Tom Cruise, yeah. too. Yeah. He's going to space. Yeah. For Mission Impossible, right? Yeah. Well, he's probably going to actually want to fly. Because I, I guess in the new uh, Top Gun, like, that's actually him flying. Yeah. Yeah. So, he's oh, probably just- going to... Yeah, he's probably going to want to actually fly it. No big deal. Yeah. Did you no see, big deal. Did you see the motorcycle base jump he did for uh, Mission oh, Impossible? Yeah. It's, that, that, guy's, that guy's nuts. ridiculous. Yeah. And you want to talk about the epitome. He's I don't know what so, the Scientologists are doing for that guy. <laughs> but I want but we should all be so lucky, right? Let me so, get some of that. So that, that's a good segue. That's a spe- essentially what a special forces dude does, right? <laughs> You jump out of yeah, planes. Maybe. And, yeah. You know, with the bikes yeah. and stuff. No, yeah. not that. Yeah. Yeah. He, okay. com- he compresses, Tom Cruise compresses not only an entire like 30-year career, but everything that you talked about in that 30-year career. Wouldn't it be cool if he compresses that into a two-hour movie? <laughs> and yeah. does it all. Yeah, yeah. and it's it does just, it all. It is just a stunt movie. Yeah. Like, he just Solid wants is. to do cool shit yeah. at this point in yeah. time. And but, shatter his ankle and keep running yeah. on rooftops. Well, yeah. now that you're yeah. following Tom Cruise, yeah. <laughs> let's yeah, right. go right into it with, uh, you know, first and foremost, I always have to ask, what inspired you to go into the military? So what inspired me to go into the military? Uh, I, I was born in Redondo Beach, California. We were talking about this mm-hmm. on the drive up. I, I spent my formative years in a little town called Tehachapi, California. Oh, yes. Really small, uh, working class upbringing. So the type of place, this was, this was in the 80s. So this was get up in the morning. Hey, I'm going to grab my 22 rifle. And me and my friends and I are just, we're gonna, first we're going to wander through the middle of town. <laughs> like armed teenagers walking through the middle of town. It's then, like the Goonies all over like again. Like the Goonies yeah. all over again. <laughs> then you get to the store uh, where we're going to buy some sodas and some boxes of ammo, right? Because you just walk in and buy ammo. Yeah. And the only thing they ask is that we we line up our rifles outside and not walk with them inside. Only because they weren't worried about shooting. They were worried about knocking shit over. Right? Uh. So we just leaned them up against the wall outside. Left them completely unattended. Nobody would steal them. We'd go in and buy a box of shells, buy a Coke. And then we'd go wandering around the boonies all day long, shooting at rabbits and dove and coyotes and whatever got in front of us. So kind of embracing the whole outdoor lifestyle thing mm-hmm. started to make me think a little bit about the military. And then yeah. finding out about stuff like special forces and rangers, that there were these really cool things mm. that you could go do that like not everybody, you know, the recruiter says all the right things, right? Mm-hmm. Not everybody's <laughs> going to make it. Yeah. You know? And that... Grabbed yeah. you. It's like, oh, you're fucking laying down the gauntlet. Yeah, like, challenge yeah. accepted. Okay. Challenge yeah. accepted. Challenge, <laughs> challenge right. accepted, sir. So the idea of wanting to be a part of something greater than myself and be a part of something that I could say, hey, only one to three percent of people ever are going to do something like that. And, mm-hmm. I, and then for the rest of my life, I could point back to that uh, because, of course, at the time, I thought being in the military was going to be a four, four and done. It was just a, a phase that I was going yeah, through. Yeah, sure. chapter, yeah, if you will. Turned into 32 years, ultimately. <laughs> just light 32 uh, yeah, years. Just, yeah, yeah that, that phase of my life, you know, that's kind of still going on because it's still connecting me to yeah. stuff like this, right? Uh, but that was what, what drew me in. And I wanted to do SF right out of high school. Mm. And that was, uh, there was a time period when they stopped letting people do that. 
uh, before the 18 x-ray years. They, they, they had uh, a time period in the 80s where you could do that. You could go directly in on an SF contract uh, and do everything in route. Yeah. And then they stopped doing that right about the time that I signed up on delayed entry. So I got a ranger contract, which ultimately for me was 100% the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. I look back on that now and I'm like, wow, I... I probably would have just been a hot mess if I'd have gone to SF directly yeah, as, a, that, as a young teenager. Isn't that crazy how, you know, in hindsight, you know, you realize that it could be beneficial and you're totally. going, you know, going, you're going in a good direction. But at the time, it's heartbreaking, right? You're <laughs> like, oh, of course, now they don't have 18 x-ray for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit. I, I, I was like, uh, but I think the good thing was, was I didn't know. I didn't know enough about the disparity. You know, I knew that SF wore Green Berets, Rangers wore Black Berets. There was both pictures of them. So back then, all the cool recruiting pictures, you had to have a 120-foot rope slung across you <laughs> all the fucking time for some reason. I don't know why. You, ne- you never God, know when you're going to need some yeah, rope. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's like in uh, Boondock Saints because yeah. you yeah. might fucking need it. Yeah. Right? You got this fucking rope everywhere. Yeah. I figured I was going to get there. I was going to get issued a beret and a rope. <laughs> And that's what I would wear on a typical Saturday That's night. called hazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, none, yeah, it did happen with chem lights and the helmet band. I want and, you to and, tie that rope on top yeah. of the tree and then climb it till you die. Yeah, that <laughs> and uh, so my favorite hazing was uh, putting guys on hurricane watch up on the roof, which meant Kevlar uh. helmet, flak vest, PT uniform with chem lights going all the way around the helmet. Oh, uh, yeah. that's a good and one. And then if you see a hurricane... You start, you yell, hurricane, hurricane, hurricane at the top of your lungs. So we all know that there's a hurricane. Yeah. And how many times did you hear them yell hurricane? Never heard it once. Because I so. would 100% have started yelling, that, yes. I think. But but what they didn't realize is nobody could hear them up there anyway. So uh, it wouldn't, wouldn't have mattered. So maybe they did yell it. But maybe t- they were. Typically, I'd let them stew for a couple hours and then I'd go up on the roof and go, okay, you're done. It's hurricane watch is over. You can, you can rack out. Oh, that's so. always good. Yeah. That's a, that's a good, good method. I feel like yeah. that's not too physically demanding. No. Just yeah. make them feel stupid for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and they realize later, why was I up there? <laughs> what was the purpose of the flag? Uh, there's yeah. some silly for stuff funsies. that you do, <laughs> like, you know, like the old, you know, private, go find me some chem batteries, you know, chem light mm-hmm. batteries and, you Grid know, squares, prop BFG wash. for the Carl Gustav, speaking of earlier. <laughs> Yeah, so I had a blank firing adapter for the 90-millimeter recoil rifle, which was a Yukon stove baffle. <laughs> and they gave it to me. They made me hand receipt it. This is when I was a private. And I remember looking at it, and I, and I thought, okay, this isn't like a— because a blank adapter, we know the whole purpose of which is to keep the gas in because mm-hmm. it's gas-operated yeah. so it can cycle. Well, I wasn't stupid enough to think that a breech-loaded weapon was going to do that, but I thought, okay— Maybe there's some blank round we put in this that has like a wax plug or something, and we don't want it to go hit somebody. <laughs> so this is to catch it. Right? I didn't know. So I'm like, that, that must be the purpose of this. And it had GP, the, the same GP straps around your two court were on it so you could connect it to the gun. And it actually fit right over the end <laughs> oh, of the gun God. just perfectly. Yeah. Of course. So they gave it to me, and it, and it had U.S. stamped on it because it was from <laughs> some, you know, U.S. made, some type of camp Yukon stove. I carried that thing around in my rucksack and it, and on a jump, it got bent to shit and I had to hammer it back into shape because obviously I didn't want to get caught yeah. screwing up the equipment. I hand receded this. I have to yeah, turn this I back in. Yeah, that's a big deal. That's, that goes all the way up to the highest level yeah. as far as I knew. So I carried this thing around and it, even after I figured out like, okay, there is no such thing. Like there's no, there is no blank round. There's no simulator round for yeah. the night. yeah. And I'm like, I guess I should just call bullshit on them. And and one of my buddies goes, no, no, man. As long as they think you're falling for that, they're not going to fuck with you with something else. Yeah. So just let oh, them think that. Wisdom. Yeah. That's wisdom right so there. So I let it go on for about eight months, just pretending like I didn't fucking know any better. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, it wasn't until uh, we were actually going out on a mission where um, they're like, okay, this is going to be, we're taking butt packs only. Everything has to be really light. Take the bare minimum. And I'm like, so I can leave the blank adapter, right? And like, why do you think you should leave it? I said, because it's a Yukon stove baffle you guys have been making me carry around for eight months. <laughs> and they're like, how long have you known that? Six months. <laughs> oh, you fucked yourself there. Yeah, I kind of did. So did you? Yeah, there, was, yeah, there were some remedial upper, upper body exercises because of that. For that? Yeah. Well, because I also made the comment, here's where I got into trouble. Here's where my mouth got me into trouble, is I said, they said, oh, you figured it out uh, six months ago, huh? They said, I said, yeah. I said, and somehow they got to ask me, they go, like, it's ridiculous that you even thought it was real for two months. 
Like, why would there be a blank adapter? And I said, well, I didn't think it worked on the same on the same principle ammunition type, yeah, yeah. as a as a, a blank adapter for for a gas operated rifle. I said, I'm not fucking stupid. Oh. <laughs> and apparently, oh, the no. guy that I was saying that to had been that stupid, so he took offense to that. Of course, when I said yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, there was some upper body. You know, you know, I, I was this a tab spec four at the time. What was it this? Was, yeah, of course, and he didn't like me saying that so i'm assuming <laughs> that you know that he had fallen for it you know he was the the previous uh, guy that had been duped by of course it. Yeah. duped for three years yeah, or something. <laughs> yeah who knows <laughs> i carried that fucking thing for years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i have it mounted on my wall yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh that's crazy so that was you that was a good experience in range regiment so that was yeah. within your first entry right yes so other than that how was your experience with First Ranger Battalion. Uh, I loved my time in First Ranger Battalion. Yeah, Savannah, I, Georgia. Yeah, can't complain about yeah, that. Yeah, great place mm. to be. Um, I really think the Ranger Regiment was the foundation for the rest of my military career. It really set me up for success going forward. Mm. It, I mean, everything from, you know, time ma- management, personal accountability, leadership, uh, you know, taking care of your equipment before you take care of yourself. All the basic things we learn as privates in the Ranger Battalion, that, that, and I think probably the most important thing wasn't even any of those things. It was it was the realization that the reason the Ranger Battalion is special and kicks ass isn't because we do some wazoo crazy shit. It's because we do basic army shit well, and yeah. we don't deviate mm-hmm. from the standards. Yeah, you know, a Ranger PT test was not crazy at the time, right? And, and I, it was only slightly different than a regular army PT test. Yeah. It was, you know, basically it was just, you know, a regular army, you could get basically a D in all events and pass. I think in, yeah. in regiment, you had to get a C in all events and pass. You, yeah. Know, yeah. Just, you know, so you had to get- Standards a, definitely changed. Yeah, yeah, yes. Standards Standard. didn't change over time and rightfully so, right? Now it's 80%. Mm-hmm. So 80% with a five mile run. Right. And then on top of that, if you want to get selected for ranger school, you have to be 90% above. Right, yeah. yeah. It, at, the, at the time it was- Bare minimum, the army was like forty, and it was like forty, forty, and I don't know, forty, forty, and sixteen, or forty, forty, and seventeen, thirty, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And in regiment, it was like forty-eight, forty-eight, so it wasn't yeah. much better. Yeah. And and the, and the run was a reasonable time. It was something that pretty much everybody could do. But but you didn't deviate. Unlike the regular army, that oh, you almost got it. We're going to give you a couple extra two. It's no, yeah. everybody really is going to adhere to it. And if you don't adhere to it, you're gone, and you are going to qualify. You're going to stay at the range to qualify expert. Mm-hmm. And that's not, uh, and if you can't, we'll give you individual attention so that you can. And you're going to know how to tie knots and put a radio into operation. All this basic stuff. I yeah. mean, it's really yeah. basic stuff that on paper, the whole army is supposed to be able to do. Yeah. But they would play a little bit more fast and loose with the, the standards and Ranger Regiment, you didn't. So. See, and that that's attributed to the fact that it's an all-volunteer unit, Yeah, right? So <clears throat> that's a huge part of it too, is if you don't want to adhere to that standard, you don't have to be here. Yeah, you go to the and 24th. You yeah. can't do that in the big army. No, nope. You know what I mean? Because so, where are you going to send them? So you have a lot of <laughs> attitude problems there, is the desire to not want to learn and be proficient in your occupation. Yeah. You know, and I uh, something that I I didn't quite figure out uh, until I went to what they called PLDC at the time, which is called something else now. So the first NCO school that you go to, okay, was being an NCO in Ranger Regiment was actually in a lot of ways way easier than being an NCO in the rest of the Army because, like you say, it was an all volunteer force. All of my guys were motivated to be there. You know, I never had to uh, I never had to drive to somebody's house off post and knock on their door at nine o'clock in the morning to find out why the fuck they weren't at work. Yeah. You know, uh, I didn't have problems with, with troops going AWOL. You know, people were showing up in the right uniform, fit to do their job because they were motivated to do their job. And like you say, the moment that they decided they didn't want to do that, they could just say, I quit. And they could yeah. leave and go somewhere else. Goodbye. 24th Infantry didn't have that. You know, it's, you know, where are we going to send? Now we got to do this reams and reams of paperwork to actually kick them out of the army. <laughs> which is a whole nut roll in and of itself. Yep. So they just didn't have a lot of motivation to do that. It's like, okay, you'll be a slug and be AWOL a couple times and this, that, the other, maybe be hot on a piss test and you just won't get promoted and you'll twiddle your thumbs and, and do your time and yeah, and then you'll get out. Get the crappy duties and... Yeah. 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 
And then you and then you'll walk around for the rest of your life talking about you did four years in the army and how they screwed you and it, <laughs> uh, yes. and it was awful and your yeah, experience was terrible. Right? Have your Cold War vet hat on? Yeah, with your Cold War vet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my goodness! Don't even get me started on the hats. Don't get me started on the hats. Let's move on. Yeah. So right place, right time, right uniform, and yeah. uh, you can make it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. This seems fair enough. Yeah. Do what you're told to do. Yeah. You know? So it it set the tone for your career it for did. sure. Yeah. Leadership, the standards. Being right time, right place. Now, when you got to SF, Mm -hmm. what was the difference there? So right away, first impression, the difference between the units. Um, That nobody's, there there is no tab D4. There is no section or squad leader or platoon sergeant jumping dead in your shit with both feet. It's, Mm -hmm. this is the epitome of big boy rules are in effect. Mm. Yeah. You're either going to perform or you're not. And... So, you know, same thing. It's an all-volunteer unit. You don't hold the standards. You're going to be gone. But there is nobody going to be like, oh, you're falling back on a run. We're yelling at you. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you fell back on a run. Hey, guess what you need to be doing? Do we do we need to even tell you? Run more. You yeah. need to run more. You need to be working on this on your own. So uh, that was the big thing is, is kind of the, I won't say the external motivation was removed, but it took on a different form. It took on, yeah. it started to take on a form of, of, Kind of the unspoken judgment of peer pressure mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah. Not the, I'm going to jump dead in your kind shit. Kind of friendly competition as yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. You know, and left and right. ownership probably, yeah. right? Self-ownership. You know, and a huge, a huge change, obviously, when you go to SF is instead of being an E4 who's, or, or an E3 who stands at parade rest for an E4, now I'm an E6 calling a master sergeant by his first name. Yeah. So, you know, that was a little bit weird, you know? Yeah, but I, I think that's so important is that you get those fundamentals first. Yeah, I you know, do too. At Ranger Battalion, you set the standard. You know what it's like to operate at a high and tight mentality. Mm-hmm. And then you get to that and you, you're you on big boy terms. You've deserved that. You earned that. And and I, I don't think right out of high school, most people could deal with that. No. You know, and, and that's why the, the pass rates for really, really young individuals is kind of lower yeah. than those who wait till they're 25, 30, yeah. you know. And that's why the that's why the uh, SFAS selection rates and the uh, and the CAG selection rates for guys who come out of regiment is so good because mm-hmm. you come from that regimented background. You've like you say you paid your dues. You've kind of you've kind of learned the Ranger way of doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, the big thing we always hear when we go on to these other units is. We want you to we want you to be a ranger, but we don't want you to be too much of a ranger. Right? <laughs> okay. we, we don't Can want you, you we don't want you to bring all of regiment with you. Yeah. Just, we want you to bring about 50% of like, regiment Like, where's your fucking you. eye pro? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, shit like that. Let me see your socks. You know, yeah. you know shit like that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So what, uh, what do you mean by, I want you to d- kind of peel that back a little bit. Yeah. Is don't bring all of the ranger regiment in. Yeah. Is you don't, and I, and I don't, it's, the ranger regiment you were in was different in a lot of ways from the one that I was in. I mean, the fundamentals are still there. But it was particularly true in the 80s when it was, you know, high and tights. And our PT uniform was UDT shorts with no underwear <laughs> and, a white t- and a white T-shirt. So the white dress T-shirt that you would wear, right? Uh, boot high, white socks. Nice. Right? Mm. You know, everything was like, and you'd look down formation and all those socks would be at the same fucking height by God, <laughs> right? Fresh haircuts on Monday morning. Uh you know, 15 minutes early everywhere you go. Yep. Every single time. Um, you know, everything was about the standard, the standard, you know, the ranger standard, the ranger standard. Yeah. And uh, the the ranger mentality, right? Which was very much an old school army way of doing things. Yeah. Kind of to the nth degree. Yeah. Mm. And then you go to SF and it's uh, my hands are in my pockets and call each other Jim and Bob and Steve and... yeah. Uh, a little bit more, lit and you know, you start doing this a little bit, you know, it's, instead of <laughs> yeah. the, oh, my two fingers off of my nose, bridge of yep. my nose every time. <laughs> yeah. So they don't want, it's like, don't bring, you know, we've already got a sergeant major doing that. We don't need you coming in as a staff sergeant and being another sergeant, thinking you're another sergeant major. Yeah. Getting honest about bullshit like that. You know, we don't need one of our peers. You know, you try to tell one of your peers, hey, man, you need to get your hand out of your pockets. You're going to. Get fucking slapped. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, 
So, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to bring all that. Like, it, 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 to give you a kind of a prime example, late 80s, early 90s, um, there were guys getting out of the Rangers that wanted to go do stuff like PJ and CCT. Mm-hmm. And Air Force recruiters were like, no, we've tried that. <laughs> you guys don't do real well. Yeah. Like, you know, inside of, inside of a couple of weeks, you're going nuts because nobody's doing what you're yelling at them about. Exactly. And everybody hates you. So, that is true. Our army guys have a rough transition sometimes they when they transition. come over to the Air Force. Yeah. They, they realize that it's not actually the military. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a business with guns. It's a Fortune 500 company it, it where is. they happen to wear uniforms. Yeah. It's <laughs> entirely it. And we, yeah. some of us happen to shoot people too. Yeah. But yeah, they, they, they struggle with that transition. They come over and officers and enlisted are hanging out together, calling each other by their first names. And it's pretty commonplace, especially in the special operations Right. field of the Air Force, but yeah, they show up and no one's doing what they're supposed to be doing. They have a rough time with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a difficult transition. Yes. So. My, mine definitely, like my experience derived from, you know, I had two combat deployments before I went to Ranger School. And then you're exposed to the big army right there. Mm-hmm. So like all those standards that you just talked about don't mm-hmm. apply to a majority of these guys. And this is like the premier leadership's course. And so these guys are squared away, yeah. but they're not rangers squared away. No. And, you know, I peered super low on my first phase because I was just constantly kicking people and yelling at them. Knife handing going yeah. on. Yeah. And, you know, and it did not work real well, but no one has rank there. So you could just, right. you know, blast everybody off. and. Uh, you know? Yeah. So that experience is kind of, I'm sure, emphasized in the Air Force by a hundredfold. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, entirely. It's yeah. it's complete self-sufficiency. I mean, w- my experience in the Air Force was pretty great for the most part, but dealing with support personnel, sometimes you have to entice them to do their job instead of just, like, if I showed up at a Marine base, anytime I was working with Marines, it was great. You have a little E3 run up. What do you need help with, sir? Like, <laughs> right? God damn it, I love the Marine Corps. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking love this. Their yeah. standard. Yeah, yeah, they have a really good standard as yeah. well. Yeah, they know? do. And pride, yeah. which I, I think yeah, is... Yeah, pride in their jobs. And yeah. No matter what your job is in the Marines, I've, I've never worked with a Marine that didn't have pride in their job. They could be yeah. a commo guy. They could be, you know, intel, doesn't matter. They take pride in what they do because it matters. Yeah, yeah. It'd be pretty interesting, though, if we had a Marine at the table. He'd probably be like, you a ranger? Shitbag. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you join the Marines? Yeah, that's basically the Marine Corps. Yeah. That's Marine Corps light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Marine yeah. Corps light. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, there was a, I uh, met a warrant officer from, uh, from 10th Group, and he went to Vietnam as a Marine. Damn. And uh, then he, uh, he came back, tried to be a civilian for a couple of years, and then decided to, to, to go in the Army and, and go SF. And... Uh, he didn't, uh, he'd never been to ranger school. And he said, yeah, he said, after being a Marine in Vietnam, he said, I never had much interest in being in the Army's version of that. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Low, low. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, different job parameters back then as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, completely different. So it's changed um, in the last 50 years. It is changed. <laughs> yeah. So you, speaking of getting out and getting back in, so you got out of the military. Mm-hmm. And was a reservist, right? Yes. Yeah. And that's when you did your special forces time mm-hmm. and then went active duty again, correct? Yeah. So I got out, I got out of 175 in 1988 and I went directly into uh, 20th group, Florida National Guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and my intent at the time was, hey, I'll, I'll get, I'll go and knock out. Uh, I don't think there were, I think SFAS started either that year or the year after. It might have been the transition when they were transitioning from pre-phase phase phase one into SFAS. But I'm like, I'll go knock out the first part of this like as soon as possible and then come back. Because I didn't really have any other irons in the fire. I didn't care. I wanted to go to college, but I didn't really care when I started. Um, That was my plan. And then they're like, oh, well, yeah, it doesn't really work like that. So you got to come to a few drills and then we're going to assess your readiness and we're going to put you basically on an OML. And then when you're ready, we're going to send you. And I kind of messed around with that kind of disjointed pipeline for a couple of years. Because what ended up happening, like at one point, I waited to register late for a semester of school because they said, oh, you're going to go to SFAS. This, And then at the last minute, they said, oh, yeah, we're not, we don't have funds or of whatever it was that happened. So now I'm registering late. And then they would turn around in a, in a semester that I was registered for. They'd be like, oh, so you ready to go? And I'd be like, no, because <laughs> now I'm registered for school. So we played that game for a little bit. And then ultimately, when Desert Storm, Desert Shield kicked off, 
They mobilized all of 20th Group. They brought us to Fort Bragg, never having the intention of sending us overseas. Mm-hmm. So it was actually, it's, it's a, a humorous and convoluted story. So the Japanese government gave a million dollars to the U.S. to support Desert Storm, Desert Shield, because mm-hmm. at the time they didn't have a military. So they said, well, we want to mm-hmm. support it too. Here's a million dollars. So DOD said, all right. It's going to train two troops out. Yeah. <laughs> For two guys, yeah. <laughs> two rangers. Yeah. 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 In, in, in GWAT, that would buy you one internet chew full, yeah. of, full of computers. You bought right? us one bomb. Yeah. 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 It's it's it, right? like, Come Thank on. you. So they said, well, what should we do with this money? And so uh, U.S. SOCOM stepped up and said, hey, why don't we've been trying to figure out a way to validate. We have these reservist SF units. We want to figure out if that's a valid, we still don't know if it's a valid concept because mm. we've never deployed them in war. Why don't we bring them to Fort Bragg and we're not going to send them, but we'll do an ex-eval, so an external evaluation on them and see if if they perform at the level that we expect it translates, of an yeah. SFA team, right? So, it, and it was a little bit of a rude awakening because what they found out is on paper, all of these uh, National Guard SF companies had five ODAs. In reality, they had about 2.5 ODAs. Right? Oh. So once you once you kind of shook out, you know, who was on permanent profile, who was a paper tabber who really didn't know their job all that well to begin with, who was somebody working in that slot who actually hadn't been to the Q course yet, it ended up being about two, two and a half ODAs per team, mm. right? This was in the 80s and 90s. It's gotten much better in 20th Group now, especially yeah. with GWAT, right? Those are, you know, those guys are fully, fully strapped war fighters and, and, you know, you with put, combat experience, with yeah. combat Ample experience, yeah. Combat. And I, yeah. literally would put them up against any active duty SF company or SFODA. Yeah, no question. A uh, little bit different back then, though. So that was why they mobilized us. And then all of us that were not qualified yet, they said, "All right, here's the plan. We're going to get to Fort Bragg, and we're going to run you guys through a two-week pre-selection course, and you know, going over, you know, the things, you know, some navigation, you know, knocking the rust off of all these skills." Sure. You know, doing some good PT every day, mm-hmm. toughening up your feet a little bit. So don't worry, you know, you two to three weeks and then we're going to we're going to get you in the pipeline to go to selection. All right, great. So we get to Fort Bragg, we move into our barracks and two whole days goes by and they came in and they said, hey, everybody be outside with all of your gear in 10 minutes. There's a truck that's going to they're going to be picking you up. Where's the truck taking us? Oh, you guys start in selection tomorrow. <laughs> Like so uh, for prep. Right, because they, yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, they called uh. the selection committee and they're like, we can't fill up selection right now. Everybody's overseas. Oh. So we have like, you know, hey, no waiting. You guys can get right in. It's exciting but terrifying <laughs> yeah. at, the same at the same time, time right? Man. So, I mean, you, my, my class was so small. You know, my last name starts with an S and I was roster number 147. Typically, in a, in a regular SFAS class, my my roster number would be well into the 200s. Because right? yeah, okay. I think at the time, they were capping classes at like either 250 or 300, somewhere around that. Mm-hmm. And like they didn't even have a cap for our class. I Was think, that because of COVID or? <laughs> believe, believe it or not, we had shit like that pre-COVID. Right? Yeah, yeah, way pre-COVID. Way pre-COVID. That existed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a thing. Not a thing. Not full places was a thing a long time ago. And we didn't have cell phones then either. Yeah, that's um, Yeah, so I did. I went to SFAS, went to the Q course uh, as an 18 Charlie, Special Forces Engineer Sergeant uh, in language school. And I said, hey, I've, I've really missed this whole active duty military thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick around. So I signed out of, out of 20th Group. And uh, uh, had 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 a conversation with the seventh group sergeant major, and he said, "Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a letter of acceptance. You can take to the MEP center and show them." So, so Very they cool. cut me orders for Fort Bragg, yeah. and I signed in the seventh group. You did that too, right? You were reservist, then went active duty. I was just attached to active duty units. Okay, yeah. but like you, I remember you working full time. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was I was a guardsman, but I was always attached to active duty units, and I mean, we had. We had a lot of different duties we had to do between helicopter firefighting mm-hmm. or hurricane response, civil SAR, and then the combat side. Yeah. So, of course, they yeah. say part time, and you're never working part time, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was TDY and deployed more than my active duty counterparts. Oh yeah. By, yeah. by a long shot. Yeah. 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 That's that's insane. So your time with with SF, you you finish the training up, and then what's next? Uh, then I got assigned to seventh group. And uh, did uh, did a couple of trips as an 18 Charlie mm. and figured out probably about a year in that uh, I love being an 18 Charlie, but I didn't like the fact that it's like, okay, we're doing, you know, we're going out and doing some, you know, major exercise. So uh, 
18 Charlie, here's your little blocks of wood. These are these are your <laughs> explosives. So you're gonna go and simulate putting these in place and you're gonna and pulling it and, and then we're all gonna say boom, right? <laughs> so I was never really getting to blow shit up. I was never really getting to build shit. You know, I I I'm like, you know, I the only person on the team, the only two people on the team who really regularly get to really do their jobs are the are the communicator. And I fucking hate that shit. And yeah. I don't want to do that. And I don't want to learn Morse code. Right? Yeah. I had to be the communicator uh, for, uh, we did an endurance event one year and our communicator got broken the, like the day, literally the day before we infilled uh-huh. to do this event. And so I had to very quickly how to learn how to operate all the radios there for the communication shots that we were going to have to do. And I'm like, yeah, that's not only are you carrying more weight than everybody else. Yeah. That job just sucks. Cutting antennas and shit and yeah, screw that. Uh, yep. But the medic also, like, because people were always getting hurt, always getting sick. And I just, I had this tremendous appreciation for how the medics are really a master of their craft. Yeah. You know, it's, they're, they're really on a level above, you know, it's like if, if all the rest of us had a, came out of the Q course with a college education, these guys had master's degrees. Oh and, yeah, absolutely. Know, yeah. And their I, training is I mean, head and shoulders. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, and on top of that, you have to have the fundamentals mm-hmm. of the infantryman as well. Yeah. So you're operating at a capacity that is two times the position that yes, most absolutely. operators are operating yeah. in. Yeah. So yeah. admirable. Yeah. Obviously, I, near and dear to my heart because <laughs> I saved my life once. So. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah <laughs> a couple so times, that. actually. Yeah. So, you know. You know, and, and just the, you know, the fact that, you know, medics were respected, looked upon as subject matter experts. And then it was something I talked about for a while and I kind of kept kicking the can down the road because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Mm, it's like, yeah. you know, do I want to go the, be a team sergeant? You know, do I want to go on that career path? Do I want to go be a warrant? Do I want to go on that career path? Um, do I want to go down the road, take the long walk, go down that career path? Mm. What do I want to do? And it ended up because of some personal stuff that, that happened that kind of all came together at, at a certain time. I needed to get away from Fort Bragg. Not didn't have warrants or anything like that, but <laughs> I just wanted to get away from Fayetteville. It's uh, I was not in a good place. Yeah, yeah. and uh, somebody said, "Hey, man, there's for for the next year medic classes, medic course is still going on at Fort Sam. That's a good place to mm. just get the fuck out of here. You've talked about doing it anyway. Do you want to go do it now?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll do it." So I was in the second to last old school Fort Sam class for nice. for eighteen deltas, and uh, went through Fort Sam. Uh, then came back to Bragg, went through Med Lab at the old Med Lab across from Kentucky Fried Chicken on Smoke Bomb Hill, uh, <laughs> right right before they moved to the Somme Sea, um, and did that, and then and kind of found my home. It's like this yeah. is really what I was meant to do, you know. Being being a medic, the more cerebral aspect of it really appealed to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys, um, I'm I'm five foot six. Uh, with corresponding leg length and, you know, body, you know, I'm, I'm a Welshman. We're built the way we're built, right? Yeah. So I was never going to be the strongest. I was never going to be the fastest. Sometimes I was the best shot, but not all the time. But I could be the guy that's like, oh, we got a brain question. Where's yeah. Doc? Yeah. It's like, I can I can be that guy. Could be the smartest. Yeah. Smart. I, I don't want to say smartest, but you know, the 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 guy who knows this particular thing. The people right? that yeah. 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 And I am like, you know what? That's where I can give them that's where I can operate in my highest capacity mm. and give the most to the team and give the most uh, to the force. And ultimately that was what led me to go to med school too, was the same mm. thing. Was you know, eventually my knees and hips and back are not gonna tolerate me doing this, but I can still do something important for the guys pulling triggers if I'm a physician and, yeah. I, and I come back to soft as a physician. So so what year was this when you completed your medical training? Uh, not not school right. as far as the medic course goes, 18 Delta. Uh, 95. So 95. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you deployed how many times? As a medic. As a medic. Um, so you weren't doing any, any deployments then. Well, that we were doing the old school deployments then. Yeah. So yeah. So I did multiple South America deployments yeah, during okay, that time okay. frame. I'm not even, I'd have to, I'd have to figure it up. I don't know how many I did between yeah. 90, 95 and 02, which is when I went to med yeah. school, uh, several. So yeah. So of, my yeah. point within that is, is that where you found that you wanted to get more in depth into the medical field? You were just like, wow, this is, this is my passion. This is what I, I really want to do with the rest of my life. At what point did you recognize that you wanted to be a physician? 
I figured out uh, while still in the meta course, when I was going through med lab and I, I came back and uh, was going through med lab, had a, uh, I think it was when we were back in processing for Bragg. I went by and visited, dropped into my old company. Cause of course I was lining up my next job mm-hmm. for when I come back. And I was talking to some of the guys. And I said, yeah, I think I've already decided that I'm going to, I'm going to go to PA school. Like mm-hmm. I'm not the whole being a team sergeant thing, being a warrant officer thing didn't really appeal to me. So I said, I think my my ultimate career goal now is to to be a PA. And I didn't I didn't even initially entertain the idea of being a physician. Mm. That to me wasn't wasn't even on my a blip on my radar. Yeah, uh, a lot of eighteen deltas would go to PA school back then. That was really common, mm-hmm. right? So that was something concrete and attainable to me was going to PA school. And it wasn't until I decided to formally pursue it, which you know I went back to an ODA. Did a few deployments and said, okay, you know, I've, I've kind of paid my dues back as a medic now because, mm. you know, they paid to, to train me. So now I can start looking at something for me, which is going to PA school. And I started looking into it uh, around 98 timeframe-ish, mm-hmm. 98, 99 timeframe. And then I figured out that that wasn't going to be a possibility because PA branch at the time said, uh, you're too old and you have too many years of service. Mm. We want... What we want in PA school is somebody who only has between, I think they said between four and six years of service, um, is somewhere in their 20s because we want them to come out of PA school with a lot of long enough longevity to go in their career. You know, we've never had a PA general and that's, we as a branch need to be cultivating that possibility. Mm, There's been nurses that have been generals. There've been physicians that have been generals. Uh, there's never been a PA general. So, you know, we, we, we as a core, as a branch, need to be cultivating that longevity. Because yeah. typically what was happening at the time is whether it was somebody coming from an 18 Delta background or from, a, 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 you know, 95 Bravo, 95 Charlie or 91 Bravo, whatever it was before 68 Whiskey, you know, it was, it was a different MOS. Whatever background they were coming from medically, they were usually pretty senior they were okay. probably in E7, you mm-hmm. know, had some had some city miles behind them. So they go to PA school, do a couple assignments to PA, come up on their 20 years, and now it's a choice, you know, being paid as a PA in the civilian world, yeah. being paid as a as a as an O3 E here. Hmm. No yeah. contest. I, I'm the out. day I hit 20, I'm gone. Yeah. And I'm I'm getting that lucrative job working at a you know uh, for an urgent care at a family medicine clinic somewhere yep. in an ER an and not get shot at and <laughs> not getting shot at right and I can eat whatever I want and I have to get up early and do PT every morning yeah uh, so it's the best of both worlds for everybody but that's not what PA branch wanted they're like no we we're tired of all these people getting out at captain yeah we want people in you know for the long haul and and how do you do that. Just that way is you is you change the selection criteria to you put a cap on time and service, you put a cap on age and things yeah. of that nature, which is what they did to me. Now that was transient. It didn't because uh, right at the time that I was going into, I think my fourth year of med school, uh, Rody Field who was a former two seven five yep. guy. Jumped into Pamela. Do you know Rody? I know Rody. Yeah, yeah Rody's a, he's a he's a PA now. Mm-hmm. So and he got into PA school in spite of having exactly more. When he applied, more time in service than I did, being the <laughs> <Just> same, <laughs> being older than me, right? It's about uh, who you know. You, you yeah. know Doc Schaefer? Mm-hmm. He was, uh, he was uh, PA as well. Yeah. He was E7 type, and he yeah. went, and same kind of concept. You know, he had a lot of time in. So it's, it has to be like who you know at that point and who you were talking yeah. to, right? Well, you know, they, they changed some things. And there was also, yeah. there was, it was also at the time, so in the late 90s, um, some some former 18 Deltas going through the PA track had burned some bridges mm. because um, we're not known for our humility in our <laughs> community. So, you know, basically walking into PA school on the first day and being like, I'm just here to formally check a block. I've been, eh, I've been basically practicing at this level as an 18 Delta for four years as it is. So I'm just here to get your little certification and then I'll move out. And Entitlement kills. Yes. Mm. And, Entitlement uh, kills. And you had some people going in with that mentality and doing some kind of silly things early on in the course. Um, there was a, one seal in particular that, you know, I think, you know, they didn't appreciate his version of the phantom shitter. 
uh, that kind of created some problems. I want details. Yeah, so I, I, and I still don't know them, but you know, all I know is basically uh, they came in for class one morning and there was a turd on the desk in the front of the room and didn't take a whole lot to figure out who did it, right? Um, so guys coming from our background, there was, there was a lot of pushback against mm. us. Yeah. Um, well, because of people like that. Yeah and, yeah. and people like, and I'll be honest with you, I had a couple of phone conversations with the, the branch manager for, for PAs at that time. And I was a little, I was a little bit cocky. I was an E7 being pretty fucking cocky to a, to an O4 mm-hmm. over the phone. You know, when she said to me, cause I, basically it all came down to, I was going to have probably maybe one shot at applying before I hit that cap. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, here's the problem. I don't have, I have A&P one college. I don't have A&P two college, but I had A&P in the 18 Delta course. It's not a, like, it's not like I'm going to fail A&P. And she said, uh, she said, oh, 18, former 18 Deltas have come into PA school and failed A&P before. And I said, mm-hmm. bullshit. And that was not the right thing to say. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. So basically I was persona non grata with that individual, like from, from then on, but it didn't matter because I did I wasn't going to have the prereqs mm. uh, to apply. And then the next year, the cap was going into effect. So yeah, I was basically painted into a corner and uh, a friend of mine who was a, a SEAL uh, who worked at the SOMC at the time said, well, why don't you go to med school? And I just laughed. I'm like, I can't, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not, I, I, I dabbled in undergrad before I was pretty shitty at it. <laughs> He's like, no, nah, my. He goes, I went, I went through the Delta course with you. I know you can do the work. Come on, man. We're gonna, a bunch of us are going to do this. We're going to do yeah. this. Mm. And uh, a bunch of us started taking night classes at the SOMC through Campbell University, which is my uh, alumni, uh, my, my alma mater, rather. Um, we took the classes, and we ended up getting when when we got as far as. Physics and preparing for the MCAT, we were down to two of us. We started out with like five. Yeah. We were down to two of us. Nice. And then about midway through the MCAT prep course, the one guy that was in it with me said, uh, hey, man, I got to drop out. I got, I got some family stuff I got to deal with. So I was solo from, from then on uh, of the, the great experiments and <laughs> went in and took my MCAT and barely squeaked by on my MCAT because yeah. it's a it's a... It's a I took the MCAT as well. It it's is a troublesome brutal. test. It's a brutal test. It is brutal. It's really, yeah, it's. Uh, I would consider the MCAT to be more brutal than any of the board exams I've taken. Mm. Yeah, it, it is a tough it's test. It's all day, and it's just eight hours. Yeah, oh, and it's not unlike board exams where you're like, okay, these are patient scenarios. So yeah. Like these questions, I understand why I have. There's to There's an this. answer to them, right? Yeah, there's <laughs> like. For MCAT, it's like critical thinking. Like, read this yeah. and then derive this from that, yeah. you know? And the whole physics portion where you're like, the light comes in here. Refraction, reflection. I just fucking hated it. There was so much about the, and then you got to write the stupid essays. Oh, yeah. My uh, God. And it's just, it's an all day thing. And you're just so spent when you walk out of there. You're just, yeah. you're just completely spent. But you passed though. And I passed. Yeah. I did well enough uh, to get in. So, and I went to the Uniformed Services University of the Health Science. So I went to the you DOD just... school yeah, in Bethesda, Maryland. Well, and cool. uh, I was actually in the uh, application process for medical school when 9 11 occurred. So I had already hmm. interviewed at, uh, I'd already interviewed at uh, TCOM in North Texas yeah. in Denton. Um, and I think I had, I don't know if I'd interviewed at USIS yet or not. And I was waiting to interview at two more uh, Texas schools, mm-hmm. uh, San Antonio and Houston. Okay. And we're in La Rondia, Columbia when 9-11 occurred. And we watched, I was sitting in, uh, in the skiff uh, watching that on TV live when that happened. So, mm-hmm. And I just... Two days prior, or a day or so prior, I had been on a sat phone talking to USIS about making sure everything in my packet was in order to go before the board, uh, yeah. the admissions board. So uh, that's the time frame I was at during the application process. And I almost uh, pulled my application because yeah. you know, I was going to war. Same. Yeah. So yeah. that was my first instinct was to yeah. pull my application. And um, my company sergeant major pulled me aside and he goes, here's the deal, man. He said, we're in seventh group. We're not going anywhere. Mm. He said, he goes, least a year, I'm thinking two. And he goes, because they're going to, here's what's going to happen. They're going to run through. And and the writing was on the wall because um, there was a uh, special warfare center realignment that occurred very, very quickly in uh, right after 9-11 in that 
If it was a course that involved bullets and you were in seventh group, you were not getting a slot. So that those pri- the priority for those slots was going to uh, fifth, gr- fifth group. Yeah, to train up. Yeah, fifth yeah. group, 10th uh, group, and third group, right? It's like, who's going to be the first, first guys in the cylinder? Yeah. So if it's a shooting school, and, you know, there's a few of those, those are going, and they're like, oh, you want to go to, you want to go to Halo or Scuba or whatever? Knock yourself out, <laughs> seventh group. Like, you know, unlimited slots. Yeah. Because they're all going into the shooting schools, and they don't have time to go to these other schools. Um, so the writing was on the wall about what the op tempo was going to be like for everybody outside of seventh and kind of where we were in that pecking order. Mm-hmm. And my company sergeant major being much wiser than myself, you know, laid it out for me. He said, so here's the deal. He said, you're going to delay going to med school and two years is going to go by and you're not going to be going and you're still going to be pissed off. And now that ship has sailed. Uh-huh. Yep. He said, or you can go to med school, do everything in your power to get back here to the community as quickly as you can. And then, hey, guess what? When you come back, you're you'll not, make a bigger impact. Yeah, because yeah. you're not you're not somebody we have to train up because you under, you know how this works. Yeah. You know what we do. You know what's important to us. You know how to do, you know, the trauma aspect of it. You know what an 18 Delta does. He said, uh, you should do it. It's good leadership. Yeah. Really that is good leadership. Outstanding leadership. Yeah. Really, really good leadership and really amazing advice. And, and he was hundred percent correct because when I went back to Fort Bragg, my third year of med school on a family medicine rotation. So that, I did that for my very first rotation of third year. Uh, that's when you start your clinicals mm-hmm. and I go back to Bragg they were, my company was getting ready to deploy for the very first time. Oh, yeah. Damn. Wow. And had I, had I delayed, I got a, I got a six year age waiver to go to USIS. Wow. So USIS has this weird system. There's probably a little bit more detail than you guys or, or any of your listeners need, but 30 is the age, 30 or 32 is the age limit to get into USIS. Yeah. But if you are already commissioned, you get a waiver for age for every year that you were commissioned. Oh, right, oh, wow. Right? So so you can be 40 years old if you have 10 years of commission time. So I wasn't the oldest person in my class. There was actually two, two guys from Naval Aviation in my class that were older than me, but they didn't need a waiver mm-hmm. because they had been commissioned officers before. Makes sense. I had a six-year waiver. And I had the, until somebody who came along two years after me, I had the, the biggest waiver that they'd ever given. Yeah. They're like, previously, we've only gone to four. And we're going to give you a six-year waiver. So the odds that they were going to give me a bigger waiver, you know, unless I could yeah, show them. Not the, the reason he got it is because he had deployment orders. He's like, I'm going now. Yeah. And they're like, okay, go fight the war and come back and see us when you're done. I didn't have that. This was, I'm going to sit around and brag, hoping to go to war. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't have given it to me. So I would have given up my chance to go to med school. And So you ultimately missed what? One deployment? Yeah. Finished up med school. Yep. And then it was off to OTC or? No. So I did, uh, the way it worked at the time is, uh, so I, I was discharged at midnight or at 1159 as an E7 <laughs> and then picked up on orders at 1201 in the middle of the night as a second lieutenant. Right. Wow. So I PCS'd as a second, actually it was a TDY en route to Fort Sam Houston to go to the officer basic course mm-hmm. as a second lieutenant. So I went through officer basic course. And at the time, if you're, uh, if you're going to USIS, they make you do it en route. If you're doing what they call an HPSP scholarship, which you guys are probably familiar with also, you do it usually after second year. Okay. Or after, I'm sorry, after first year. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. I went to OBC en route, then went to USIS and started doing the med school thing in, in summer, late summer of 2002. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that happens before. And then by the time you're out, you finish up your an 03, right? Yep. You get the day you graduate, they bump you from 01 to 03. And then uh, I attended residency in San Antonio as an 03. Okay. Wow. What yeah. years were that? So I did residency 2006 to 2009 in San Antonio. Wow. Okay. And then going back to 18 or to uh, seventh group, so I didn't go back to seventh okay. group. Yeah. So I I went directly to the JMAL mm. out of residency. So I had I was entertaining a few different job offers at the time. One of which uh, was uh, first ranger battalion. When I was in my second year of residency, they said, "All right, the time frame is going to be right that you could you could get a first ranger battalion." Uh, Brett Schaefer went to second. Yeah. Who you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So Brett and I were classmates in residency. 
Um, and uh, I got offered first. And for a number of reasons, again, kind of personal stuff kind of came into play. I was going through a pretty nasty divorce at the time and some other stuff. Mm. That ended up, I figured out that was not going to be a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's being a, being a staff officer right out of residency, even a staff officer in a ranger battalion is not going to be a good fit for me, just mentally. That's yeah. not that's not the the headspace that I'm in right now. Mm -hmm. Needed someone and, with ops tempo still. Yeah, yeah, I needed something a little bit different and that I could kind of get used to practicing. I had, I had some academic struggles in residency. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, I need to kind of build up my skill set and my confidence as a clinician yeah. in an emergency medicine setting. And I need, I need a little bit more room to grow in that respect. Yeah. And I looked at, and I had, I got some other officers. 160th was one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I got offered Okinawa. And uh, a lot of it hinged too on, uh, like I didn't want an OCONUS assignment. I wanted to deploy, but I didn't want an OCONUS assignment because I wanted to see my kids. You know, I, mm -hmm. I wanted yeah. it to be easy enough that I could jump on a plane and see them, not fly back to the States once a year and see him. Yeah. So trying um, to find that balance between the yeah. family life and operations life. Exactly. Yeah. And, and in answer to your question, so ultimately um, it wasn't my old battalion in seventh group, but one of the seventh group battalions did have an opening and I got called about it and they said, all right, here's the deal. And they said, the cool thing is you're going to sign in and they're immediately going to move to Florida. So you won't even have to fuck around with you move to Florida. And I said, okay, well, if we're moving to Florida, how long is that they going to, does that mean going to be until they can deploy? Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, they're just coming off deployment. So it's going to be two years. Said, <laughs> the assignment is two years. So I'll be there for two years and then somebody else will take over for me and I won't even get to deploy with them. Yeah. Unless they, unless they let me extend, which they might not. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, uh, that's not, I don't want to go back to group just to go back to group. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, I want to go back to group if I'm going to get to deploy and do something that matters. Absolutely. And uh, ultimately what ended up happening that kind of, that saved me was I got a call from the, the deputy commander of the, of the MAO, uh, the Joint Medical Augmentation Unit saying, hey man, you want a job? And I said, yep. He said, okay, I'll have you come out for an interview. And I did. And uh, got that job and did it for six years. Wow. So what does that job entail that you can... Talk about it, at least. Yeah, so it's uh, it's direct medical support for you know for for tier one units. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, you know we we tell people it's the medical SMU, right? Okay. So it's uh, really the 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 highest you can go as a physician to say I really I literally did the, you know the coolest job that a physician in the military can do. Yeah, you know at least in my opinion as an emergency medicine physician. So direct medical support to all the soft units at the tip of the spear. Mm that are doing the, the coolest and most dangerous shit and, and need very high level medical support because yeah. they might be so far outside of a medevac ring or, you know, so far forward that conventional medical units are just not going to be able to support them. So uh, I was honored and privileged to do that job for, for six years and, you know, work with some of the greatest individuals, you know, that, that I've ever been in the presence of. And well, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So you did two deployments? I did uh, a total of five in, five. That, in that six year time okay. frame. Yeah. Okay. So three, three scheduled and three no notice. Hey, man, we got something going on. Okay. We need you to pack your bags. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So, right now, what are you currently doing? Now, uh, I live here in Central Texas. I am the uh, medical director for Central Texas Regional SWAT, mm. and I'm the uh, medical director for SRT 6 uh, DPS Special Operations Group. Mm -hmm. So I work uh, with a guy named Jim Vritas who runs, it's called the Center for Tactical Medicine here in Texas. So he's, he's created like a central hub to bring in all these tactically minded physicians. Yeah. We have memorandums of understanding with different law enforcement uh, agencies throughout the state to provide direct medical support. Mm. Not dissimilar to what I was doing with the JMAO. I mean, it's not, not yeah. quite as robust, obviously. Sure. It doesn't need to be in the United States, but um, still pretty cool. I get to, you know, put kid on and get in the stack and, you know, except instead of bomb makers, it's meth heads. Yeah. <laughs> so when did the book come out? Like, when did you write the this book? This was my COVID project. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it came out in August. Finding your edge as a man over 40. Yeah. So uh, I, a few years ago, uh, I started a, a podcast called Mind of the Warrior. And 
didn't really have a whole lot of direction when I kicked it off. I, primarily, I think the first, if you go back and look at like the first five or so episodes, I think I was just talking about mixed martial arts. Like I wasn't even talking about military stuff. I was talking about, I, I interviewed Chael Sonnen and Colton Smith and Tim Kennedy and okay. Robin Black and guys like that, you know, yeah. you know, talking all about mixed martial Colton arts stuff. Colton Smith, with, he, yeah. was, uh, he was John Troxell's... Yeah, yes, he uh, was, yeah. Aid for yeah. a while. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. I, I know him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Yes. Uh, so I, I started that podcast off and people started like looking me up and like, and, and I would talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu and talk about working out, talk mm -hmm. about going to the range. So I would start getting these emails with all these questions about, you know, hey, what do you think? I'm about your age and I've got this back problem and this knee has been fused and what can I do? What can I do? And what do you know about this supplement? What do you know about testosterone mm -hmm. replacement? What do you know about this? And so I was always answering all these questions that had to do mostly with guys around my age group yeah. that had questions revolving around performance and longevity. Yeah. And I had a thought at one point that, you know, I'm answering all these questions so often. I should just really have like a website to send them to. Yeah, resource. Or a book to send them to. Yeah. It's an opportunity. That it's all there. Well, but it's, I actually, I verbalized that, but it, it stayed dormant. Mm. And I actually started at one point to write a completely different book than, than this one. And it wasn't until I sat down with, uh, with Tucker Max, who runs Scribe Publishing. And uh, Tucker said, uh, I said, yeah, I've been working on this book. And I told him what I was working on. And I had already started Graybeard Performance. I started that during COVID. And the supplements were already out there. And he goes, that doesn't sound like it has anything. Your main focus in your life, he told me, is the gray, this Graybeard Performance brand. And the book you just described to me has nothing in common with that. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it was more. It was more about everything I learned as a ranger private. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, lay your shit out the night before. Be 15 minutes early everywhere you yeah. go. You know, stuff like that. Uh, always take a shit when you have an opportunity. You know, just little, <laughs> little, little things, right? Yeah, the little things. <laughs> little, little things. Uh, and he's like, "Yeah, that, I, I'm just, I'm not seeing it." And he said. Uh, he said, what could you do that kind of goes in conjunction with that? And then it dawned on me. I'm like, well, you know, I've answered all these emails. I've uh -huh. done podcast episodes where I've talked about back pain, mm. where I talk about recovery and talk yeah. about getting good sleep. He said, well, there, it sounds like you've already got the book pretty much written. Mm -hmm. He said, why don't you write a book talking to your avatar, talking to the guys, the 40, 50-year-old dudes who still want to go out there and do Spartan races and do tactical games challenges yeah, and yeah. all these other things and get on the, you know, get in there and, and fight some Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Talk to those guys yeah, and share your knowledge with them. Mm. And uh, a lot of the chapters I already, I really already had written. Like I'd already done all the research, the supplement chapter that's in there. I'd already done all the research because I knew what supplements I yeah. was taking and yes. what I wanted to later on down the road come out. You know, I've I've got two SKUs now. Eventually, I want to have like seven. Yeah. And uh, right now, I'm piecemealing all the ones that I don't make, but I know what needs to be in them. So I've already done that research. So that was already a chapter. Just put it into a book format. Yeah, that I just point. put it yeah. into a book format. I had already done a podcast on how to get good sleep, on okay. sleep hygiene. Yeah. So I just converted that into a book chapter. Yeah, and then with all those interactions with everyone else, you kind of had the answers. Yeah, so. and it's and I knew what the questions were because, yeah. you know, people had already come to me with it. And I knew what the common questions were, mm -hmm. and I knew what the in-the-weeds questions were, and, I, and I'd already done the research on a lot of that. So, yeah. So the book, uh, it really only took me about six months to write. I just had to put it in the proper format and kind of flesh it out and put it in conversation. My big goal was to put it in conversational time. Tone. I wanted it. I wanted this to be a book that when you're reading it, you feel like we're just riding in a car and we're having a yeah. conversation. Mm. And and eventually, I'll have an audiobook version of it that's going to be exactly like that. Are you going to narrate it? I am going to narrate. Good. It, so, oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Good. So yeah, it's. So where can you find the book? You can find it on Amazon.com. So okay. it's uh, it, it's. I don't know where I am in the rankings now, but I know in the first three weeks it out, I was number one on like eight different categories. Awesome. So that's amazing. Yeah, men's men's health. And so they have, they have a category just for ab workouts. I was number one in ab workouts. I don't know how that works. There's not, there's not a specific ab workout. Is there any pictures in there? Yeah. I talk about how important core is. Yeah. So, but I don't like, there's not like a, here's your ab workout. Yeah. Uh, you lather up with keels. First. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it, was, it was number one in a lot of categories and sales are still going really well. I'm getting amazing feedback from it from people. Awesome. You know, so far uh, I've only had a couple of people write bad reviews 
One of them, I think he literally wanted me to do his burpees for him, and that was his, uh, his issue with it. Yeah, it sounds of like a bitch. Yeah, and the, and the other guy... <laughs> and you just do the work, and I look good? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And the <laughs> other guy was mad because I didn't endorse the carnivore diet, so... Oh, oh yeah. you're not Dr. Paul Saladino, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, if, if you had one thing to tell, you know, all the listeners out there, what would it be? What's some good advice that you have that maybe there's a common question that you get, you know, for the book and all that yeah. stuff? I think to to sum it up in one thing is don't, uh, do not confuse average with normal because Mm. we've been sold this bill of goods. And I talk about it all through the book that we've been sold. I'm 55 years old. I am classified by the VA as hundred percent disabled. So according to average, my peer group, when I retired in 2016, um, I had the Harley already, but I should have bought a fat guy shirt, right? (laughs) So I wear a fat guy shirt everywhere I go and cargo shorts and I play golf on weekends and I'm on probably a minimum of three different medications, you know, a couple of blood blood pressure medicines and, you know, and and, uh, pre-diabetes. Yeah, borderline diabetic. (laughs) Sleep apnea. All, which I do have, but I, but I've got the kind that it's my brain just tells me to stop breathing, um, which is a little bit scarier. Um, And I should just accept all that. Right. And I'm going to wake up every morning and my knees are going to hurt. My hips are going to hurt. My lower back's going to hurt. And I'm not, I'm, if I get any exercise advice at all, it's going to be, hey, try to walk at least 20 minutes at a pop three times a week. Right. Yeah. And that's basically what you can expect in your twilight years, in your golden years. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't willing to accept that. Yeah. You know, I want to do two a days. I want to do, I want to go and do a, a two hour jujitsu class at night, even though I did an hour and a half of strength and conditioning that morning. Yeah. You know, I want to do that. I'm still I wanna, hungry. Yeah. I want to go over to Rogue American and hang out with Wes. When you're 48. And do fucking crazy shit. You're not. You, yeah. well, 55. I'm 55 now. Oh, you're 55. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're 55. I'm sorry. You that's look okay. 48. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. The, the point is, is that you're still in your prime. You know, yeah. that there's no reason yeah. to let that slow you down in any sense. So but we've been sold this bill of goods that 55 is old, yeah. you know, and it's, and I talk about in, the, I think in the very last chapter of the book, I talk about, uh, contrary to the movie and what Gerard Butler would have you believe King Leonidas was 60 fucking years old at Thermopylae, 60 years old oh, shit. out there with a fucking hoplon and a Zephos and a fucking javelin and everything else. Now, was he in the front of the rank? Probably not. Right. So, but, mm. but he was out there, that's he was, old. He was throwing steel. Old. He That's was throwing steel at sixty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it can be done. Yeah. It can be done. Right. It's what what one man can do, another man can do. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, fifty really is the new thirty. Yeah. You know, it really is. Well, that's uh, reassuring to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Same. So I'm ten. Yeah. <laughs> but the but the key is is you have to start. You know, I wish I would have known about longevity. Yeah. At your age, what I know now. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, it's in here. And I've had, uh, the youngest person that I know of that has read this book is 26 years old. And they came to me and they're like, everything you said about longevity, I'm going to take that to heart. Mm. Yeah. That's, that is important. I mean, what is knowledge, but without mentors, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's great that you're putting that in writing, man. It's fantastic. So where could we find you? So on Instagram, uh, my Instagram handle is Dr. Mike Simpson, D-R-M-I-K-E-S-I-M-P-S-O-N. Uh, Graybeard Performance has its own Instagram account. Uh, my website is, I have graybeardperformance.com, which is where you can find my supplements, my apparel, mm. rash guards, jiu-jitsu geese. That's eventually where I'm going to have my my blog and vlog series. Uh, amazing. Perfect. And my newsletter. You can subscribe. I do send out uh, informative emails. Um that's going to be kind of where I plan to kind of build my empire is around uh, the Graybeard Performance brand and the website. I do right. have an old drmikesimpson.com website that I don't use for a whole lot, but it's there. So okay. That's amazing, yeah. man. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to have you back on the show because we got to dive into the stories that I know you have. I've heard a couple Love of them to. already. So thanks for being our guest today. You did fantastic. I can't wait to read the book. Yeah, and, same. Uh, adding it to my list this evening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you very much for Appreciate joining you guys us today, Mike. Me very much. Absolutely, thank you. absolutely. This has been the Medivac Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining today. And again, if you got something out of today's episode, please share it with a friend, family member, or just blast it out on social media. We appreciate it. Make sure to go to Amazon.com and pick up a copy of Hones. Support this guy; he's a right great there. American hero. Thank you, sir. And right I appreciate there. it. Can you see it, Dave? Can you see it? Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, thank guys. you. 
Nej, 